Hi, welcome to the first episode of Insider Investing. Sahil and I are have been friends, uh, colleagues, drinking buddies for over 15 years now. And fortunately or unfortunately, we're also co-founders and co-podcasters now for the very first time in our lives. So super excited to be here. Uh, a lot of our journey as wealth managers has been about learning from the smartest and wealthiest individuals in India. about their investing journeys we thought why not bring that story out to all of you and that is the effort behind insider investing hello and welcome everyone so let me introduce you to a friend and someone i've known for the last decade or more uh, whom i've worked very closely with i have tremendous respect for uh, this gentleman and he's taught me a lot in life over the last couple of years uh, mr amit jatia needs no introduction but i'd love to say a couple of lines about him um uh, possibly at the age of 14 he uh, tried a milkshake in japan and he probably said uh, i'm just loving it he didn't leave any stone unturned came back and uh, jumped right into starting mcdonalds in india uh, something which is interesting is he also completed his uh, uh, degree in hamburgology from the hamburger institute in the us which is super super interesting we love to know more about that as well amit uh, today mcdonalds is uh, has over 300 restaurants in india has a turnover of over uh, 1100 crores and uh, i think amit has committed a lot to growing the business over the next 5 years and increasing the number of restaurants in india as well uh, amit started right at the beginning uh, you know even while in university he went through all the rigmarole of understanding the business getting his hands dirty and came back to india and indianized the entire menu uh, for india so you got the best of both worlds in terms of the global menu and the indian menu which today has been a big success story for amit and his new venture which is the mccafe has actually sold more than 10 million cups so far in india so welcome amit it's a pleasure hosting you here and uh, we'd love to know more about your journey no thank you so much um, sandeep and sahil really appreciate it and um, yeah happy to be here Um, yeah, it was. It's been quite a fun journey, I must say. Very challenging, but good fun. So I'm more than happy today to share sort of my learnings, my experiences uh, with everybody. Um, really happy to be here. So Amit, uh, thanks for taking time for doing this for us. Uh, you know, one of the so in my previous role, I used to travel quite a bit, and uh, one of the high points of that travel, especially going to Pune, used to be stopping over at the McDonald's on the way and grabbing that cup of coffee from McCafe. Uh, so it's it's been you know through right through the pandemic I've missed that caffeine shot. Uh, how have how has the the last couple of years been for you guys? Because you're in the services business, you're out there meeting your customers, etc. How has the the pandemic treated you? Um, see, my philosophy has been that uh, all times are good times for business. i'm not saying that the pandemic was a good thing for anybody for that matter it was completely unprecedented and a challenge that i don't think any business has ever seen but my philosophy is always to sort of find the positivity in every difficult situation and uh, i told my team right from day one that as we enter this pandemic and when we come out of the pandemic if the business is foundationally stronger then we have not wasted this opportunity um so i would say that it's been very challenging in the beginning we were grappling with a lot of things 
but i think the leadership team and i want to credit them with this thinking where they came up with sort of um, a three mantra plan you know the first was basically survival okay the second was revival and then growth so we said that in the very early days as long as we survive as a business it's all about cash flow management and the safety of our employees uh, and as the pandemic starts uh, settling down and the new normal comes into play the idea was to basically revive the business back and finally once the business was revived the idea was to get back on a growth plan so i must say that if i look at all of last year um uh, we in the first half we lost a lot of money because we are retail on the ground 10000 employees absolutely yeah structure all all for growth right and when you are sort of getting prepared for growth you obviously don't um, sort of staff your organization or have resources only for running a mature business so we had to deal with all those challenges but i think in the second half we made up not only all the losses but essentially we parted down you know we we were always zero debt in any case but we essentially were able to build a small reserve as well so i think um, that was a bit of a mantra uh, i think uh, the pandemic continues volatility is the new reality and uh, we continue to sort of deal with that and personally how has it been uh, amit uh, away from the business handling it remotely must have been a crazy experience <laughs> See I mean I've right from day one always believed that it's it's about the team and um, I'm not one of those entrepreneurs that uh, is sort of a control maniac I'm not saying there are some entrepreneurs like that there are some otherwise but I like to um, uh, give authority and responsibility to people and therefore I must say that we as a team came together they they were shoulder to shoulder walking with me primarily the responsibility fell on Smita Uh, who's sort of the managing director and also my wife in that sense but you know i i'm able i am i i'm able to handle stress quite all right so even through the pandemic i i i did not have any sleepless nights but i'll tell you the reason for that though and you know so people would always ask me that you know why aren't you all going more aggressive why don't you do this why don't you do that and i would always tell people it's about sustainable growth and to my mind india is a marathon india is not a sprint i can tell you that in any business for that matter and uh, the 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 depth of the market is sort of very limited but of course there is opportunity and to mine that depth you got to run your business right so i would always tell people that think of our business as a ship going from one place to the other and when you are in the middle of the ocean and turbulence comes we shouldn't be knocked over and in other words we call it oxygen canisters so the good news is that we had a lot of extra oxygen canisters that took us through this journey and because we entered with it with a decent uh, platform you know i was not very very worried about it but the important thing was how do we do this without um, you know people losing their jobs so i'm quite happy to say that none of people uh, lost their jobs of course every company has vaccinated all their employees we took that on us but we did our best to ensure that we are human through this process and it's not only about money so i i was quite all right to be honest i did not have many sleepless nights yeah so right. awesome golden stuff uh, there amit especially the thing that you mentioned about survival revival and growth i feel like for a lot of our uh, entrepreneurs listeners i think this is very valuable because every business at some point 
sometimes because of external issues or sometimes because of internal problems goes through challenges but uh, you know i just want to dig deeper into the story of building this foundation that you spoke about right mm-hmm. um, did how did you like envision mcdonalds in india to be this uh, uh, behemoth that it has become what is the foundational uh, stuff that you guys did at the very beginning that enabled you to scale um yeah that's a that's a great question and uh, to my mind it was a building block approach while i knew that it's going to be a challenging journey i really did not anticipate it to be what at least in my opinion an extremely challenging uh, journey uh, i mean first and foremost uh, to settle the brand down in india you know with all the other sort of angles involved you know globally mcdonalds does sell beef while in india we were veg non veg separate separated and all of that it was important to get that communication right from a consumer point of view from the government point of view and all of that so the early days were very challenging also you know eventually what i learned is that the cost structure of a us business is very different in india and the dynamics of how the business plays out both in terms of sales and cost are again very different so the answer does not lie in cutting corners and giving the indian consumer sort of a raw deal the answer lies in without losing the brand essence how do you get the cost structure and make it relevant for india so you know our journey not that i i'm telling you from a hindsight point of view i didn't know this when i was entering in but essentially our journey had about uh, sort of three or four components to it in the early days it was all about uh, what i call localization yeah so the idea was to take our global strength and localize it um so it was all about supply chain menu equipment hiring local talent training them and so on and so forth uh, from 97 to about 2002 2003 it is what i call the build phase yeah in the build phase unlike other people and this is where i feel we differentiated ourselves we took the time to build so the first thing we did is get the menu right yeah we started understanding what the consumers think about the brand so we started making changes to the way the consumers were perceiving the brand but more importantly after all of this we started getting the cost structure right so we launched what i call restaurant operating platform 1.0 where we essentially asked ourselves the question that what is it that we can do to bring the cost down right where it does not impact food safety and the consumer right but all the nice to haves have to go and with that we were able to bring the cost structure down by 60 70% and get the unit economics from a break even point of view right by 2003 so once we got all of that i call the 2003 to 2012 the sort of growth phase yeah that is when we built hundreds and hundreds of restaurants but all on solid unit economics and we we launched happy price menu we got affordability right for the consumer we got brand relevance by launching menu products that were more sensible for the consumer we launched delivery we did all of that in mm-hmm. 2012 right we said now is the time to accelerate right so while while this is the grow phase the important thing is how do we now sort of take this business to a whole different platform and that was when when we started opening about 30 35 restaurants a year we completely we launched mccafe we missed all our restaurants and so on so you know these are the three or four phases but i must tell you i felt that we were very aggressive maybe it did not come out and people thought that it took too much time 
But remember, we introduced the concept of eating out and making burgers relevant to the consumer. So this was our journey. And this is how we sort of built it along the way. Tons of problems, tons of crisis that came. I'm sure. Yeah. It's all the, the, the company is built on that foundation today. That's lovely, Amit. Amit, I'm going to pull you back to one question, sure. which is on, you uh, mentioned the oxygen canister, right? Can you can you dig a little bit deeper into that? And the second part was on the Metcafe journey. How has that been and, uh, you know, penetrating into this segment in India, where a lot of people are tea drinkers versus coffee drinkers? How has that panned out for you? Sure. So I'll take the oxygen canisters. So the oxygen canister word obviously is not invented by me per se. So I'm a, you know, I, I read a lot of sort of books and this one came from, I think, Good to Great, okay, by Jim Collins. And, um, you know, in the early days when we were really struggling, I would take our management team and leadership team because how do you keep them entrenched and motivated when they can see the rest of the world moving ahead and we are struggling, you know, building one restaurant at a time and things like that. So one of the things that stayed with me is that, as I mentioned to you earlier, that, or if you look at a car, you know, especially how the Germans build it, the point is you don't build it so tight to capacity that if you put one feather on top and it all collapses. Similarly, in the business, right? I mean, uh, particularly the pandemic is a great example. Uh, basically, if all our oxygen was just enough to keep the business going. Uh, when the crisis came and we were running short of oxygen, these extra canisters is what kept us breathing and I could sleep easy. So really, in other words, it's whatever resource you need, primarily it starts with capital, to be honest. In a business, that's the reality of life. And, and the other most important thing is human capital. Because during crisis, if you don't have the right skills, if you don't have the right sort of people involved, including suppliers and other partners, yeah, the business could collapse. So, I mean, I, uh, that's really what I meant by oxygen canisters. In this case, we were debt-free. We had cash in the bank. You know, our cost of uh, borrowing was very low because we were net cash. So Correct. that's what I meant from a business point of view in terms of oxygen canisters. Uh, coming to McCafe, you see a business is not about what you see today, right? One of my gurus after Jack Welch was, you know, somebody who I would follow a lot was Steve Jobs. You know, I was absolutely a total fan of Steve Jobs. Same, same with us, yeah. Yeah. Now, nobody would have told you that consumers need an iPad. Okay. So what I yeah. learned is that consumers cannot tell you what they want, but consumers can tell you what they don't have or what they aspire to be. And it is the business's job to figure out, yeah, how to put it together and bring a consumer value proposition. So everything is about the consumer value proposition, right? Now, when we launched um, McCafe, we felt that the, India is a young country. The demographics are very much in favor of youth. And uh, basically, we felt that the coffee culture is going to catch up in India uh, more than the tea culture. And tea is drank at home. But really, coffee is a great thing that is drunk outside. And, uh, and thankfully, in this case, uh, Cafe Coffee Day and some others, even Starbucks had actually started, Costa Coffee had started. So that culture was sort of um, catching on. Uh, in fact, uh, there was a team that did some work on India. It was a global team. And they told us that McCafe is something that, um, you know, India should not do. Right. So that was on top of that. That's what we were hearing. 
however you know my our sense was our you know finally it's the feel finally when you're out there in the market right and you're watching consumers you're observing their behavior you're seeing what else is happening we felt this is the right thing to do now this is the important part globally we implement mccafe in three ways okay um the one one is what we call a product strategy and particularly the second primary one is what we call a place strategy so a product strategy means that you could have come to a mcdonalds and ordered the same cappuccino across the counter but you would not see a barista and a uh, and and sort of a mccafe kinda setup but the quality of the coffee would be the same but and it would all be done behind the scenes yeah that's a slightly and nothing is easy but slightly easier strategy but we chose to go with place because place is little more difficult to implement but we felt we wanted consumers to see the gourmet side of the coffee you know baristas making like it is handmade is crafted for you and all of that and uh, and it worked but the most important thing i'll tell you sahil is that coffee is an art right so it's not about so people would ask me that it's doing well why aren't you opening more mccafes faster and so on so my so what we were doing was we were training 200 300 baristas at a time and we were crystal clear that you launch mccafe with reimage restaurants so we were simultaneously reimaging as well and we had a pretty well laid out master plan of how we want to roll out because in a retail um, i think rolling out is most important so net net it worked out consumers loved it and mccafe thankfully is doing quite well but there was a lot of science behind it as well correct no it's been it's been great i mean we love the coffee there now and we prefer it over starbucks but uh, at the same time uh, uh, you know one other important thing which i noticed at couple of your outlets is the implementation of technology right and uh, that's been uh, pretty crazy so you know what got you to think around that because you know we perceive mcdonald's as a quick meal in and out but the amount of tech you've enabled uh, into the restaurants now has been it's been phenomenal before you answer that amit i just want to add that you guys did it at a time in the pre geo era when yeah. uh, uh, internet was not and i remember going to some uh, mcdonald outlet uh, where my phone network wasn't great but they had a touch screen and uh, everything was working very seamlessly so yeah just uh, i think big question around how you dealt with that so i mean it's a slightly longer answer because i want to give you some context Uh, what happened is that while we were doing really well between 2004 and 2012 you know we doubled our same store sales we had the best record profit ever and you know we thought we were invincible life was great and we got uh, we got caught in this whole thing of being invincible and that led me to one of my learnings that you make your biggest mistakes in your highs okay when you think you are invincible and that kind of we'll talk a little bit about it later when it comes to investing and capital allocation and things like that but in 2013 we realized one thing that even though i'm sort of um, a student of jack welch and he was my guru and jack welch's whole thinking is around never letting bureaucracy uh, come into the organization we realized that we had become very slow in our implementation and to be honest we had really fallen back on technology our customers had moved ahead in their life and our brand had stayed back and we became known only for affordable burgers yeah obviously simultaneously the economy tanked in 2013 inflation was rampant 
and the entire sector and the entire industry started falling down. So that is when, you know, um, I said that now we need HRPL and Westlife 2.0. Yeah, the McDonald's brand uh, has to completely reorient itself. But simultaneously, I learned another thing. And what I learned is, and I tell media this every single day, when people ask me, what is this one big thing that you're going to do tomorrow or day after? I tell him that the day I have to do one big thing, you should sell our stock. And the reason is that we need to evolve every single day because the consumer is changing every single day. That means every two to three years, if you do, if you recognize the McDonald's you went three years ago, we've not done our job. Okay. And, and three years ago, we were X. Today, we are Y. Day after, we will be Z. Yeah. Now, why does this link into technology? So what had happened is that, remember, I said the consumers young at that, you know, internet, um, smartphones, that whole revolution was coming. And we had fallen back on digital. Yeah, so in 2012 and 13, we were really behind. We did not even have a digital organization. The important thing is when we did a bit of a culture study, yeah, and I call it transient advantage. We can talk about that a bit later. But the behaviors required for an organization that is evolving every day, yeah, did not reflect the behavior at HRPL and Westlife. So that is when we started making significant changes and we said to ourselves that we will now never allow our brand to fall behind consumer needs. And one of the biggest things that we identified as a gap was digital. I mean, if you go back at that period, we were not even accepting credit cards. Can you believe that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now payment, the game has changed completely. You have to be able to accept payment in any way and every way that the consumer is talking about. Correct. So that was when we made the transformation. Uh, you know, we we were uh, we upgraded our POS systems. We launched experience of the future restaurants. Uh, we built the backbone of technology, and therefore, you know, we launched an app for our delivery business in 2014-15. And therefore, when this crisis came. Our foundation was so strongly in place, yeah, that we could continue to pivot the business very, very quickly into convenience, into where the consumer was consuming. So we were the first company in India in QSR to launch contactless delivery, contactless in-store ordering, contactless uh, takeaway, on the go. On the go is a very interesting concept which cannot be done without technology. And it adds quite a bit of incremental sales. People don't get that normally. But on the go means that as you are approaching the restaurant, you place the order and we come outside and deliver it to you. Yeah, so it's like a bit like drive through So wow. that was our journey on technology. Uh, a, a bit of a long answer, but I wanted to ensure you get the context that we were behind. Absolutely. But now we've kind of caught up quite well. No, and you've caught up and how, uh, Amit... Uh, Amit, you referred to the point about capital allocation and investing and let's first dig into how you did it for the company and then we'll move to how your own personal journey has been. But uh, what have been your big learnings around how companies should manage their cash? I mean, you know, we learned the hard way, to be honest, Sandeep. So what happened is, you know, I keep going back to 2012 and 2013. Mm-hmm. So we had fixed our unit economics. We were doing really well. Uh, what what happened is slowly cost started creeping back. Uh, between 2004 and 2012, like I told you, we thought we are invincible. And what we did is we allowed cost to come back into store development cost. 
So that means to build a restaurant, the cost started going up, you know, and exactly. it was great till sales were going up. But when sales plateaued, yeah, we struggled. So in 2012 and 13, we realized that we need to completely reorient the way we look at our, the way we are putting capital to work. So the first mm-hmm. thing we did is, however, instead of stopping growth, because that was not the right answer, we launched Restaurant Operating Platform 2.0. And in Restaurant Operating Platform 2.0, we got the cost back down to what was sensible, right? And we continued to grow. But at that time, we made it a significant discipline in the company where we started focusing very, very hard on side-by-side performance. We started looking at what we budget to open a restaurant versus what we actually do. So there was very, very serious review mechanisms, discipline. Uh, Every new capital, we were watching the return on incrementally invested capital, right? So now I'll tell you, I'll tell you another story linked to McCafe that will tell, may answer your question as well. So we are sitting, this is 2013. Our business is tanking by the day. And, uh, you know, we, we were talking about all the things I just talked about. And the question came, should we do McCafe or we shouldn't do? Now, McCafe means you have to not only reimage the restaurant, you are launching a new platform while the capital allocation and the cost structure return on capital employed is all struggling. So uh, my, my leadership team is saying, no, this is not the right time to do McCafe and da, 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 da. So I told them that, see, let's first analyze the risk. Yeah. At the end of the day, we are debt free. In fact, we had that time even 200 crores plus cash in the bank. I said that, you know, the risk on McCafe is what? It's five crores. But if you are not going to take this risk, how are we going to reinvent the business? Right. I said that McCafe, all the consumer data, everything is telling us is the right thing to do. So I told my team there, that is my my business call. Okay. Because capital, capital allocation was my single call. I said, I listen to everybody, but I make the call on capital. So I said, Chalo, let's put it in. Right. And we built the first McCafe in Crossroads. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That McCafe cost me 75 lakhs. Okay. At 75 lakhs, nothing is viable. So we looked very, very carefully at what is the average unit volume that we are going to get? What is the capital deployed to build that? And therefore, what is the cash flow? What is the ROC we have? I mean, without every single site going through that discipline, we do not put any capital. Now, the minute we launched uh, uh, coffee, it started doing well. Okay, but obviously one McCafe does not mean that the consumers know McDonald's as McCafe. So we decided that we are going to focus on Mumbai. But what is the next thing we did? For six months, we did not open a single McCafe. What we did instead was we made that 75 lakhs, which was global standards, all imported material, and we brought that down to 20 lakhs. At 20 lakhs, I'll say this here today, that basically at even a 5,000 incremental rupee sale per day of coffee, yeah, it may made sure that we recovered our capital on McCafe. So it became a no-brainer that wow. we don't have to think about anything. We can open a McCafe irrespective. So while we got that right, we got the baristas right. And that is when we, in the next year, we made the five crore, we made it 10. Then we made it, uh, then I said, once we felt that we have enough, what I call empirical evidence, again, coming from good to great, and we have enough history of sites, we started then building 50 McCafes a year. So now what we've done is we have very, very, very serious discipline on capital allocation. 
Our capital goes primarily in building new restaurants, re-imaging, adding McCafe, and things like that. And we do a review on that. And our there is accountability around return on capital employed. So our return on capital employed is actually quite low because of historic reasons. But it was rapidly moving up. And our target is to get to 20-25%. And um, uh, so the answer to you know our learning is at least that you've got to be very disciplined and it cannot go on gut. And you have to build empirical evidence and you go one step at a time. So for example, don't say I'll put 100 crores depending on the company's capacity. For us, 5 crores was a risk we could take. We could carry that risk. So we took the risk of that 5 crores. So I, at that time, I could not take a 100 crore risk. So you've got to manage your risk in that in that sense. So I hope this gives a bit of flavor. Yeah, but I guess, uh, so I think that's a learning in capital allocation, but also in uh, how you were able to bring down cost, right? A 70% cost reduction in what is a global standard product is unheard of. And I feel like most of McDonald's globally will probably benefit from those learnings on how you did it, right? We had no option. When you have to fight for survival, then you find solutions that are not visible. <laughs> so with one of the things we are curious about is how you managed your journey as an entrepreneur along with your journey as an investor. Sometimes those things are working in opposite directions. Your emotions are playing uh, games with you. Uh, how has been your own investing process over the years? Sure. Um, no, I'll, I, I'll give you my honest view and my honest learning here. Uh, what had happened is, you know, my many years ago, my belief, I grew up with the belief that it's all about the operating business and our family is all about entrepreneurs. So we would invest in our own businesses and we would grow that. And we never really, but thankfully, we always did have a small treasury, but we never really bothered too much about it. But I must say that five to 10 years ago, I realized that, you know, that also needs to be built. But more recently in the last three to four years. Uh, um, so my uh, learning on investing has come, firstly, you've got to be very clear about your risk appetite and what are you gunning for? If it's a side thing, I think it has a certain thing. If it's your primary uh, driver, it's a certain thing. If you're retired, it's a certain way of doing things and so on and so forth. However, from my point of view, what my, my first biggest learning is that along with your operating business, you've got to start building your own individual capital outside of the business as well and that needs to be actively managed yeah it cannot be given a second review like we used to the second big thing i learned is that basically you gotta balance your portfolio out and you know you gotta play between equities you gotta look at some private equity you gotta look at um, uh, you gotta look at some fixed income return and you got to balance that out. But it all, again, depends on your own individual needs. If suppose there's no need, then you got to look at time horizon. Like if you go private equity, while the gains are very large, but you're locked in for a long period of time. You know, if you do fixed income, that's good. If you need the income, equities, you've got to have some exposure in equity Correct. because that's where you get the growth aspect. Then you've got to have diversity geographically. You know, I'm thankfully now in India, you are allowed to invest offshore as well. So you get a bit of play in the um, in the offshore markets. So I'm a firm believer in dividing all this up. Yeah. And again, I'm a goal oriented guy. So, you know, for example, uh, in India, I always believe that you got to at least get a 15% return uh, minimum. I know interest rates have gone down. 
and therefore be based on my risk appetite based on how i think about investing and therefore then i try to plan my investable surplus in that manner um, and last last thing i want to say there is that you know people tend to forget time horizon and i think time horizon is an extremely extremely important thing uh, if if all your investments are locked in for 10 years and suppose some other opportunity comes forget even need yeah then you don't have uh, enough cash available to deploy so uh, it's not an easy thing but it all depends on the individuals relevance where they stand in their life what are their needs and it's got to be balanced based on that so that's how at least i think about it 15% return split it between private equity uh, so that you can get a bit of um, long term growth uh, get some fixed income uh, do some bits of equity uh, and then you do diversification geographically oh absolutely amit and i think the the good point you mentioned is you know 15% but the most important thing is there uh, that you need to compound that 15% year on year right lot of people what i've seen and uh, you can correct me if i'm wrong is you know you they see 30 40% return possibly in a shorter period and then they walk away from the market so they walk away from their investments right but i think compounding at that 15% over a 10 15 year period is what actually gets you uh, you know the net worth uh, that you uh, are gunning for right and that goal at the end of the day no that's a very 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 good and important point sir my learning is you got to stay the course you know so what happens is that i feel that's why you got to keep liquid cash Correct. also like let's say the pandemic happened yeah i feel when the markets collapsed i was a buyer i was buying everything and to be honest that worked out very well for me but i did not take debt on i bought with my own uh, funds right and that allowed me to sort of deal with it so today what's happening two years later markets have gone up like crazy but even when they crash yeah i'm Correct. there and it doesn't bother me at all so that is the That's point you are making you got to stay invested especially if you are taking equities you got to stay take a five year view you can't just keep coming in exiting coming in and exiting you got to stay the course and that is when you start compounding the returns otherwise you don't compound returns yeah, absolutely amit just a quick take from you on uh, you know you've seen a bunch of entrepreneurs in india you know uh, budding all over the place right we've had some crazy amount of unicorns in the last couple of months and years as well in india what's your take on uh, you know how this is going to progress over the next couple of years are you doing yourself some amount of startup investing as well and uh, you know the fire you see in these entrepreneurs today is very very different than what it was before right so uh, how do you see this panning over the next couple of years especially from a india point of view no i think these are very very exciting times uh, while some people say it's a bubble i think some good things are here to stay i think the ecosystem that is emerging because of these unicorns is going to make us not definitely not silicon valley because for that rules and regulations of the government also have to change yes it. yes but it's going to it's going to get there and i think um, it's going to encourage more and more people to become entrepreneurs and my thought process around that is the way i'm thinking about investing in startups is one you must have a play in it there's no doubt in my mind but what i how i thought about it is again take 5 crores okay and you at least in adjacency so how i'm thinking about it is okay we are in the retail business let's say there's a company that is doing something decent in payments or somebody is doing some agri tech or somebody is doing something around the consumer experience right i'm saying can we start investing in such companies where later on if anything really works out then we could even acquire that company and integrate that 
technology into our core business. Right. Yeah. Sometimes I think about that. Should we do incubation? Uh, should we use some of our capital and help an incubation lab where they bring ideas to us, which we can buy? I'm still thinking with a corporate mindset. Yeah, because the whole idea is how do I take our current business and whatever its value is today, how do I triple that value? Okay, and not get lost or lose out on this phenomenal work in the startup ecosystem where they are redefining the way things are being done from a consumer point of view. So what happens is when you are a very large company, yeah, you tend to slow down. And that is why they call ambidextrous organizations are the best way to go, where you take a smaller company, a startup in these areas that are connected to your business and start investing in them with the view that you can help them keep investing and maybe even uh, do a strategic uh, buyout Buy at some, some point. point yeah. And at a personal level, I'm more opportunistic. Okay, uh, primarily I go with the entrepreneur and the theme. And um, I, I must say though that I'm not an expert, so I have friends who are really good and then I co-invest with them. So that is how I've been thinking about it or put in, I've even invested in one or two funds that are doing startup investing. So these are different ways in which I've sort of um, dealt with the situation. I mean, it'll be good to uh, know for our listeners, what are the things that, you've learned from your investing mistakes like throughout our journey we've all made some uh, uh, errors of judgment sometimes errors of uh, omission that you just missed the opportunity how uh, what what has been the one or two couple of things that have stood out for you the most important one i'll tell you is not new but it is called fomo (laughs) and when you go after fear of missing out and you hear a cocktail table Everybody is making money and you are not, right? That's what you feel. Correct. But that's not the truth because people only talk about their wins. They don't necessarily talk about the losses, not because they want to lead people in the wrong direction, but what are you proud of? Your wins, right? Not necessarily your losses. So what happens is you start feeling, my God, the whole world is doing this, 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 and then you make an uh, uh, unqualified sort of investment. So I think fear of losing out is one aspect where I feel at least I've made the biggest mistake because then you tend to get impulsive and you feel that you need a part of the action as well. So Absolutely. I would say single. Yeah, <laughs> I could be completely key. agree with that. So there are two four-letter uh, acronyms, right? FOMO and YOLO, right? Uh, uh, fear of missing out and you only live once. And when these two <laughs> things when these two things impact your investing, I think there is something to be worked on. Uh, no, I think this is this is excellent, uh, Amit, and a huge learning for our uh, listeners as well. I guess there's one uh, question that we ask all our guests on the on the show. It it is that one big takeaway, their insider tip on investing. And I know we think of tips like a stock tip or something like that, but I'm I'm trying to think a little beyond. Uh, and what is that one thing that you would like? folks to think about when it comes to their portfolios um (laughs) it's a tough one but i always think of you know uh, no pain no gain no risk no return and as long as you get that so that when somebody offers you that i'll get you 30 percent yeah it may be correct but the minute you hear 30 percent you have to recognize that the risk goes up dramatically and 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 as long as you recognize that and on that you add time horizon people forget time horizon 
Okay, so when you bring the two together, I think to me, that's how I think of everything. Um, no, no risk, no return, no pain, no gain. And you bring time horizon into the equation. And I think you have the, a decent foundation to start thinking about investing. Yeah, I guess you need to be at peace with the loss that can happen if Correct. you make that bet. Absolutely. See, investing is not for the faint-hearted, I always say, because then you got to go fixed income. Okay, you, if, you, if you don't have the courage to, if markets go up and down and you go up and down with it, I don't think you're an investor. Okay, then you are a sort of punter. But I personally feel, I even feel that you want to punt, punt with 5% of your portfolio. Right. Okay. Uh, if you punt with 100, you're going to have sleepless nights. So I think of very, very big investors in India who are so, I mean, Warren Buffett, of course, for me is God. And, and you know, one of his lines is, is sort of my favorite, okay? And that goes with investing as well. He says, only when the tide is out, you know who is swimming naked. Yeah, I never, never, never forget that. Okay, because when the tide is in, everybody's doing well. It's kind correct, of what I talked about earlier. Right, but when the tide is out, you'll realize kitna debt hai, what else is going on in their life. Everything and is really exposed. Not exactly. So that's the other one one's got to keep in mind. Oh, amazing, amazing. Invest in businesses that are foundations, right? Like you said. like Exactly. So so even, even though it may look bad with the pandemic today, you know that the management is solid, business has oxygen canisters, it's competitive advantage, place is good, well-placed in the industry. You can sleep peacefully. You don't have to worry. That's how I think about it. Absolutely. No, Amit, that's been uh, that's been amazing. I think we've we've learned a lot as always from you, and uh, especially for our deserved clients. And going forward, for everyone who listens to this podcast, I think it would be a, a massive, massive uh, you know value addition in terms of education, etc. So super, super happy to have you with us on the show, Amit. Thank you, Amit. And thank you for having me on the show as well. Thank you, Amit. It's, it's been a pleasure. and But more than that, it's also been a privilege to have you as our first guest on the show. Uh, I feel that we couldn't have hoped for a better start. And I look forward to meeting you in person very soon. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Take care. We hope you enjoyed tuning in today and got some great takeaways. New episodes of this podcast are out every alternate Thursday. You can listen to the episode on our website or wherever else you listen to your podcasts. If you wish to reach out to us, follow Deserve on LinkedIn or you can write to us at social at deserve.in.